So as I get into God's word today, I do really encourage you to be listening to the spirit of the Lord. It's not just what the person up here is speaking, but what is the spirit of the Lord speaking to you as the person up here is speaking? Because God wants to move in every one of us, not just the person that is up here. So I really encourage you to be in a prayerful mode, asking God, teach me. What do you want to teach me? And, and then you can jot some notes down on the, on the message notes and in order to remember it. Because God can give you a word today that could change your life. In our chaotic and noisy world that we live in, who doesn't want to experience peace? The topic today has to do with the peace of God and the secret of contentment. The peace of God and the secret of contentment. Now, some of you may go, why do I need to hear anything about that? Well, just hang in here a few minutes, okay? <laughs> um, in light of the way that our culture is going, I know I desperately need to be tapped into that peace of God. And to be tapped into the peace of God, I've got to be tapped into the God of peace. So today we're going to look at the peace of God, we're going to look at the God of peace, and we're going to look at the secret of contentment. And my prayer is that this teaching will help you so that you can know how to prepare your heart regardless of the circumstances that may come, good or bad, tragedy or triumph, because God can be preparing us for the future. God craves for his people to be prepared but we've got to be attentive to him in order to be prepared for whatever may come. Uh, we're now halfway through 2022. A little under three years ago, in 2019, as we moved it toward 2020, I, along with others in our church who were encouraged to do so, were praying and thinking about what is a word that God would have me to focus on for the upcoming year, meaning 2020. And as I was moving into uh, the fall and then toward December, the word that came to mind for me was courage. And then as we got into a little further into December, early January, it seemed like God added something to that. It seemed like he said, the courage to be content. The courage to be content. That seems a little unusual. But as we look back in regards to the last several years, I think we've had to learn a few lessons about being content with things that we might not have that we expected to have three years ago. And, that, and this did not take God by surprise. So in any event, uh, I'm blessed that today I can be sharing, even though it may seem like a strange perspective, the courage to be content, uh, God oftentimes has a different perspective than the perspective of most of us as Americans. Let's look back in time and then come back to the current moment. Sometimes there is bad news in the Bible. Anybody understand that? Sometimes there's bad news in the Bible. God was not afraid to cast a shadow on his own people who were living in the Old Testament. In fact, probably more often than not, they were rebellious. Let's look at the book of Hosea, dated in the 8th century before Christ, chapter 4, verse 6, where God speaks through the prophet Hosea, my people, God's own people, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. 
Now, that was not a lack of knowledge of academics. You don't have to have much knowledge of academics to love God wholeheartedly. You can, but you don't have to. It had to do with a lack of knowledge, of the personal knowledge of God himself, of the Lord. His people were destroyed for lack of knowledge of him. Now, in light of our cultural moment here in the United States, 2022, could we not also say, my people, God's people, continue to be destroyed for a lack of knowledge, personal, experiential knowledge of him? Tragically, I believe we can. Consider this observation of American culture. In a few moments, we're going to be digging into the New Testament, the book of Philippians. And in his excellent book on Philippians, Count It All Joy, Dr. David Jeremiah quotes another author, Lawrence Shames, and his book, The Hunger for More. While written in 1989, think how much this may still characterize our culture or how much it may characterize some you know or even yourself, perhaps me. That author wrote, more. If there's a single word that summarizes American hopes and obsessions, that's it. More money, more success, more luxuries and gizmos. We live for more, for our next raise, our next house, and the things we already have however wonderful they are, tend to pale in comparisons with the things we might still get. We've got to have more. How do we combat these worldly pursuits of more money, more things, more success, more things to do are to, in replacing our yearning, our yearning for the one who can actually satisfy our heart's greatest longings? To help provide direction, let me paint a picture here of two men, both men on respective missions, one in the 20th century and another back in the first century. The first in the 20th century, just prior to the Depression. I trust that everybody here understands what the Great Depression was. I trust that our schools are still teaching us so that we understand our history, because if we don't understand our history, we're going to keep repeating the same mistakes. So the first one, uh, again, uh, reading from David Jeremiah's book in Philippians, and this is from, he's quoting another book called None of These Diseases. The authors of that book write, in 1929, business tycoon J.C. Penny. Anybody ever heard of J.C. Penny? Yeah, like the store here in Rosenberg, okay? My wife and I were just there a few days ago. That J.C. Penny that founded that store. Business tycoon J.C. Penny was hospitalized because of his severe anxiety. Anybody know anything about anxiety today? One night, he was sure he was going to die. So he wrote farewell letters to his wife and son. But he survived the night. And hearing singing the next morning in the chapel felt drawn to go in. A group was singing, God will take care of you, after which followed Bible reading and prayer. Penny said, 
Suddenly something happened. I can't explain it. It was a miracle. I felt as if I had been instantly lifted out of the darkness of a dungeon into warm, brilliant sunlight. I felt as if I had been transported from hell to paradise. I felt the power of God as I had never felt it before. I realized that I alone was responsible for all my troubles. I knew that God, with his love, was there to help me. From that day to this, my life has been free from worry. The most dramatic and glorious minutes of my life were those I spent in that chapel that morning. Perhaps some of you gathered here or online can feel the tension of Penny's worry. Perhaps this is the day also for you to experience the cure. The other man was also a man on a mission. <laughs> a man who by all measures was driven by passion toward a particular goal spiritually. This man, as perhaps you've guessed, is the Apostle Paul. Indeed, as he shares in the third chapter of Philippians, he considered all of his previous earthly accolades, of which he was like a Pharisee of Pharisees, a, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was at the top as a Jew. And he considered all of his previous earthly accolades, accolades as dumb. That's what it says in God's word. He put them behind him. He chose to put them behind him in order that he, he could have his aim to know him, Christ, to experience the power of Jesus' resurrection, to share in his sufferings. Part of his aim, as he said himself, was to share in Jesus' sufferings and to be like him in his death. Several verses later, he confirms this passion as he states in verse 14 of chapter 3, with this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In a very good way, he was passionate and had a goal to strive toward the goal of Christ Jesus. Like a runner in a race, spiritually, Paul had his mind fixed on the goal and pursued that goal passionately. But somewhat paradoxically, in contrast to that urgent passion and drive spiritually, in fact, perhaps because of that passion and that drive to know Christ spiritually, the Spirit of the Lord settled Paul circumstantially. I'll say that again. He settled, Paul, circumstantially. Circumstances weren't going to dictate Paul's heart. And so, as we are going to see in chapter 4, that's where we're going to be moving in focus, in the midst of intense trials of ups and downs circumstantially, Paul sensed that the God of peace was with him and, was con and he was content regardless of the circumstances. I'm going to say that again. He was content regardless of the circumstances. I believe that's a word for some of us here and online, that we as Americans need to be content with Christ regardless of the circumstances. Interestingly, just this past week, many throughout the world acknowledged June 29th as the day of the Christian martyr 
because June 29th is recognized as the day the Apostle Paul was executed because of his faith in the mid-60s AD. He was willing to die as necessary as he continued to promote Christ as much as he could. For a time such as this in the 21st century, one of economic, political, and moral uncertainty, the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, one who suffered greatly because of political, religious, and societal uncertainty of his time, he encouraged the Philippian believers with whom he was familiar because he helped to start that church to rejoice in the Lord always. And some of our more modern persecuted brothers and sisters have maintained that same spirit. I will not infrequently share and about some of our persecuted brothers and sisters because it helps me to read about them to see a broader perspective of what is taking place with the body of Christ and not just sort of get lulled to sleep in modern America. We've got to have a fire in our bones for Jesus Christ. Those martyrs have had a fire in their bones. So... For a time such as this in the 21st century, again, economic, political, and moral uncertainty, the life and teaching of the Apostle Paul is great. And studying his life, we know that from his conversion, at his conversion itself, right at that time period, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him and said, Paul, you're going to suffer for my namesake. That didn't faze him a bit. <laughs> he was ready to move ahead. So... Um, we're going to take a look again here uh, at Philippians 4. In spite of those attacks on his life, or perhaps even because of them, God used Paul to speak timeless truths for the body of Christ at that time in the first century and for the body of Christ throughout the centuries, including now, 2022. These truths we will look at now are, are timeless with spiritual power to settle our souls, to settle our souls. How many of you need to have your soul settled? Soul. You know, you can speak to your soul. Do you know that? The Bible talks about it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. The psalmists say that. You can speak the word of God. You can pray to God and ask, bless the Lord, O my soul, and, and even talk to your own soul. That's okay to do in order to be transformed. So, uh, in light of our primary scripture text today, it's Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9, and then 11 through 13. And we should have those up on the screen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see your gentleness. Get that. <laughs> Paul is encouraging the Philippians. And, and right before this, he's talking about how there's some, uh, there's some differences in the body of Christ. And he says, let everyone see your gentleness, not your anger, not your animosity, your gentleness. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, tell your requests to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Pastor JT last week shared on those couple of scriptures and did a great job of pointing out how through our prayer and our thanksgiving, 
We can overcome worry. We can overcome anxiety. And that peace of God that surpasses all understanding cannot just be with us for a second, but guard our hearts through Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've got to have my heart guarded. (laughs) The scriptures go on then, and it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And what you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. For I have learned, look at this, this is so cool. I have learned, he had to learn it, he had to learn it, he had to learn it, to be content in any circumstance. He learned to be content in any circumstance. Again, he had come from a very high status of culture. He had to learn to be content in any circumstance. I've experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Did you hear that last verse? Did you see the context of it? The context of that last verse is to help him whether he has little or he has a lot. Whether I have a little or a lot, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You hear that verse all the time out of context. I encourage you to consider it in its context. (laughs) Whether you have a little or a lot, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The key is keep your eyes focused on Christ. Keep your eyes focused on Christ who strengthens you. So, while the bad news in the Old Testament was and is that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, there is good news, including a knowing by personal experience reflected in this very passage. First, there's good news that for believers, we may know prayer with thanksgiving yields the peace of God which calms the greatest worries. We can know the peace of God which calms our greatest worries, and we can get into that through prayer and thanksgiving. Last week, as I mentioned, Pastor JT provided excellent insight into that. And that it is in light of our prayer with thanksgiving to make our our request known to God. Some of you have heard me share this story about my senior year uh, at Cornell University. It was many years ago. Many years ago. I was late for a 20th century European intellectual history class. Now, I was a history major, so I took that class. It's not like I mastered that class. But with Professor Le Capra, as after my previous class, I'd stopped for coffee in the building where I'd had that class, and it took longer than I expected. So, I'm walking outside of the building. I realize I'm going to be late for my next class. I'm walking out of Goldwyn Smith Hall, and I see McGraw Hall across the art squad, and I start to run. Four words come to mind as I start to run. Now, I had gotten in the Bible within that past year. The four words were, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And I realized that that had come from the scripture. So I stopped dead in my tracks and started walking to my next class. Sure enough, as I walked into McGraw Hall, I was late. 
But uncharacteristically that day, Professor LaCapra was late, <laughs> even later than I. So as I walked up the steps and turned to look down uh, over the auditorium, people were still standing and talking, and Professor LaCapra wasn't there. Now, God knew that several minutes before. Actually, God knew that from before the foundation of the world. <laughs> but he also knew it several minutes before when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, be anxious for how much? Nothing. And I cannot count the number of times since then, hundreds, that God has used those scriptures to just get me to slow my heart and mind down and stop worrying about something. And God can do that for you too, whether it's that scripture or some other scripture. God can speak to our hearts in light of our given needs. That was my given need on that particular day. And it was just so powerful. On this topic about the peace of God, one source explains, peace is a state of tranquility or quietness of spirit. How many of us have quietness of spirit? Or are we always filled with noise, filled with busyness, filled with screens? What about quietness of spirit that God craves for us to have? That transcends circumstances. The term peace is described in scripture as a gift from God and congruent with his character because God is the God of peace. It goes on and it says, certain attitudes can destroy the peace of God. When we equate trust with the assumption that God will give us whatever we want, we set ourselves up for disappointment. The Bible is filled with examples of the opposite happening to God's people. Trust means we have, have set our hearts to believe God, whatever may happen. When we insist on being in control, we sabotage God's desire to let us live in peace. When we choose worry rather than faith, we cannot live in peace. Jesus warned us often about fear and worry. And I loved and had a short chat with Jolea, Pastor Jolea as we were walking back here. Our song that we sang, the last song, talked about peace over fear and anxiety. What a great song for today. Peace. We speak peace over fear. Peace over anxiety. Worry is the enemy of peace. God invites us to cast our cares upon him and then let go of them. Second, there's good news that we can also know the God of peace will be with us as we do what we have learned and received, heard and seen about the Apostle Paul's example in the scriptures. That passage there, as we read a few moments ago, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What do you need to put aside so it doesn't distract you from thinking these things, so that you're intentional about thinking these things? And then what you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things, says the Apostle Paul, and the God of peace, the God of peace will be with you. At the time of the writing of this epistle, perhaps some of you know it, Paul was in prison. He wasn't out free and running around doing whatever he wanted. He was in prison. And he had been beaten. He had times without food or water. And yet he had this testimony about his life as an example of the God of peace being with others as they followed his example and as he lived it out. Now, how much 
How much do you know the God of peace? How much do you know the God of peace? How much have you gone back to his word and studied about the God of peace? If you haven't, I really encourage you to do that. One of the reasons we in our culture and even within our churches are in such desperate shape is because we in the church don't put our heads in the book on a regular basis. If we're going to be strong in the Lord for whatever is going to come, I beseech you, get your head in the book. Learn how to enjoy the Bible. It is living and energetic. It is powerful. It has everything we need to know for life and godliness, and yet we'll read all sorts of other things. We'll watch all sorts of other things. We'll spend our time doing all sorts of other things. But it's this that is going to help you to be a strong man or woman of God, getting it into our own heads and into our own minds. So, in any event, third, <laughs> this is a third point. We can know the secret of contentment is to magnify Christ's strength in all circumstances. But what seems typical in our particular culture? Ken Boa, who was here last month for our Leadership in the Image of God conference, states in Conform to His Image, a book he wrote on contentment, most of us don't know precisely what we want. But we are certain we don't have it. The truth is that if we are not satisfied with what we have, we will never be satisfied with what we want. The real issue of contentment is whether it is Christ or ourselves who determine the content, e.g. money, position, family, circumstances of our lives. When we seek to control the content, we inevitably turn to the criterion of comparison to measure what it should look like. We inevitably turn to comparison to measure what it should look like. The problem is that comparison is the enemy of contentment. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. There will always be people who possess a greater quality or quantity of what we think we should have. Because of this, comparison leads to covetousness. And God is not in favor of covetousness. Comparison. If you're comparing yourself to somebody else, you're going to covet. We have to beware of that. We have to guard our hearts from that. And then we can be more free. He goes on and he says, Ken Ball goes on, instead of loving our neighbors, we find ourselves loving what they possess. <laughs> Only when we allow Christ to determine the content of our lives can we discover the secret of contentment. Instead of comparing ourselves with others, we must realize that the Lord alone knows what is best for us and loves us enough to use our present circumstances to accomplish eternal good. We can be content when we put our hope in his character rather than our own concept of how our lives should appear. And then he finishes up with this statement. Contentment is not found in having everything, but in being satisfied with everything we have. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what we want, but the realization of how much we already possess in Christ. Oh, Lord, help us to see that in a bigger way. 
So Philippians 4, 11 through 13, again, confirm those truths. I have learned to be content in any circumstance. I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. To say the least, this way of life, this biblical lifestyle is countercultural. It's radical. Thank God, it's radical. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't want to just live the way that modern society is. So I'm thankful that the biblical lifestyle is radical. Are we willing to embrace it? Now, when I say that, I'm not talking politics, okay? I'm saying it's radical compared to the lifestyle of most people. That's what I'm saying. Are we willing to embrace it? Perhaps peace is eluding you because you're pursuing the things of this world and squelching your pursuit of Christ. The Apostle Paul was not an authority on peace because of all the circumstances in his life were by their nature peaceful. This is not just a mental game. To walk in the peace of God, there is a mental aspect of reading scripture about God and meditating on the aspects about him and then the peace made available to us. But ultimately, it's a supernatural granting of peace by grace from God, first spiritually, and then in our renewed minds. We can be content, satisfied, in all conditions, as we know our strength, regardless of circumstances, comes from Christ. And perhaps in light of a time such as this, we do well to keep examining our hearts, look at our hearts, and direct them, as Paul did, to our position in Christ, knowing the peace of God that flows from personally knowing the God of peace. Now, having said all this, and I'm not too far from closing, I expect this teaching has challenged some of us. It challenges me, okay? It challenges me. At the outset, I mentioned I thought I, it could convict, it could instruct, and it could encourage. To help you, please take note of 10 scriptures on peace on the back of your message notes page. And if you can, you could look at them right now. For instance, the first one says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples the night just before he's going to be captured and then crucified the next day. My peace I give it to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's a choice that we make because of what God has given to us. And then Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this for a second. Notice that the scripture talks there of peace with God. So far, we've talked about the peace of God, and we've talked about the God of peace, but this scripture says the peace with God. Some of you here or online have perhaps not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. See, God who is righteous and also holy is also the God of peace. He's all three by his very nature. But because of mankind's fallen nature, mankind prior to get born again, born again is neither righteous nor holy and according to God's word, is at enmity, at enmity, an enemy of God. That's what the scriptures say spiritually, okay? Not because God really craves that, but because of our, our, our nature, because of the fall. That is bad news. <laughs> that particular part is bad news. The very good news is Jesus paid the price for our sin, and that at the moment of accepting Christ as a savior, 
A believer receives a new nature spiritually. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive a new nature spiritually, making him, that person, you or her, righteous and holy spiritually. And immediately, spiritually, you have peace with God. You went in a moment of time from being at enmity with God to having peace with God, according to God's word. That is absolutely incredible. It's because of the accomplished work of Christ. It's not because of any works you can do. It's by grace that you are saved. So that scripture again says, therefore, having been justified, or other versions say declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Accepting Jesus as Lord enables us by grace to have that peace with God, who by his very nature or character is the God of peace. And then, again, for those who have accepted Christ as Lord, they can go on then to experience the peace of God, which passes understanding, enabling us to experientially live without worry as we face known and unknown circumstances. Two last scriptures on the back of your sheet. One of them, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. And the other out of 2 Peter 1-2, grace and peace... And I'm speaking this now over this body. Grace and peace. Undisturbed faith in God. Undisturbed quietness. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. In how? The knowledge of God, that experiential knowledge of him, not just a head knowledge. The experiential knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. How powerful is that? I have personally been blessed in the past to meditate on those 10 scriptures and others, to memorize them and believe and so, so such that sometimes as I'm just walking through the day and confronting something, God will use that or the Holy Spirit will use that and, and pop it into my mind like a pop-up toaster, a scripture to meet a particular need. He can do that for you also. It's very exciting when we start to see God do that. Now, as we get ready to close, some of you may desire prayer to help you come to better experience the peace of God, to know the God of peace, and or to live a more biblically contented life.